The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16. Uh, we're going to go from 4.16 to chapter 5, verse 1. Um, today we're talking about the future glory. Now while you're turning there, an anonymous writer uh, is writing about an American tourist and that person's visit to the 19th century uh, somewhat famous Polish rabbi. Um, uh, some of you may know who he is. Uh, we, there's a lot of different pronunciations for his name, but I believe the correct pronunciation of his name is Kofet Chaim. Okay, now I know that's why there's a lot. You know, we see it in America and we think, you know, Hofitz Chaim. You know, we just say all kinds of stuff. But uh, this tourist went to visit the Polish rabbi and he was astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room that was filled with books plus a table and a bench. That was it in his home. Room, table, bench with a bunch of books. The tourist asked, Rabbi, where is your furniture? And the rabbi replied, where's yours? And the tourist was puzzled. Mine? <laughs> asked the puzzled American. I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. So am I, said the rabbi. Heaven... And our future glory, a subject that we love to hear, a subject that we love to read about. We love to hear about these things. We love to hear testimonies, all these types of things that we hear, things that, that said, all this stuff. It, it, but for some of us, when it comes to this, this is where we got to be honest with ourselves today. Please be honest. It'll help us if we are honest with ourselves today. Some of us, though, hear these stories about heaven and our future glory with Christ. And some of us might think, you know, it's, it's really nice to hear this, but it's just a simple story. Many evangelicals, modern evangelicalism, in modern evangelicalism today, are hoping that this is true. Like heaven, future glory with Christ, all that stuff. I hope it's true. When they're interviewing modern evangelicalism, that's the, that, that's the response today. You know, that's a great thing. And you know what? I hope it's true. I hope it's true. See, here's the thing. If we're just hoping that it's true, or, or, the, or another thing that they would say is, you know, it, it would be really nice if it were true. I'm hoping it's true and it would be really nice, but you know, sometimes when I think about it, I'm just not exactly sure. And this is the one area that we see obvious signs where we as Christians are lying to ourselves. I'm hoping that's not any of us today, but this is one of the areas where we can see obvious signs that we are just lying to ourselves. Question, do we really believe that there is a heaven and a future glory with our Lord? Do we really believe that or 
Are we just hoping that that's true? We do hope that it's true. And because of it, we tend to maybe not want to put all of our eggs into this basket. We're not willing to give up everything that there is here on earth in order to have it all in heaven. We're not willing to abandon all here on earth in order to store up treasure in heaven. This is what Jesus told us, to store up treasure in heaven. But we want to store treasure here on earth, and we continue to do this. And I wonder if the reason why we do this is because we're not exactly sure that there really is a heaven and a future glory in store for me. We hope that there is. That is my hope. My hope is, is that there is a heaven and Jesus is there. That's what I'm, I'm not exactly 100% sure that there is going to be a wonderful afterlife with the King of Kings, but I hope that it is. But because I'm not 100% sure, I want to make sure that I get some life here on earth. So I, I hope that there's a heaven. I hope there's a wonderful afterlife. But maybe we're not sure. And so because of that, then maybe we don't want to live in a small room with just books and a table and a bench. I don't want that. I don't want to live my life here on earth with that because there is a small possibility that I could be wrong. Maybe I'm going to enjoy as much as I can here on earth just in case there really is no heaven. I'm going to take care of the here and now, get all that I can here and now, enjoy the here and now just in case there is no heaven. Part of our problem today, our disbelief in the future glory with Christ displays a lot more than we might think. We say, here's, here's the thing, I, I get it, I, here's the thing. I am going to do what I'm going to do here on earth. I'm going to experience everything, I, just in case, just in case. But just in case there is a heaven, I want to make sure that I do all the stuff that I need to do in order to, to make sure that I get in. So I'll live, live my life here on earth, do what I want to do, and just go to church Find out what the secrets are to making sure that I get into heaven. Make sure I do those things so that way if I, wake, if I die and I wake up and I'm standing in heaven and, you know, uh, you know St. Peter or whoever it is is standing guarding the, the gates of heaven, you know, that I can tell him that this is what I did and then he's, oh, okay, well, okay, you did good enough to get in. And, and the idea is, it's, it's interesting how many conversations I'll have with individuals who will say stuff like this. Shane, I want to live and enjoy as much of the world as possible. Can you just tell me the minimal thing I need to do in order to get into heaven? So I want to live my life here on earth doing whatever it is I want to do and enjoying everything that I can in in, on earth, but I just want to make sure I get into heaven. What's the, what's, what's the least that I can do? <laughs> what's the smallest amount of things I need to do when it comes to the church? I don't really like church and I don't really like Christianity, but I don't want to go to hell. So can you just tell me the minimal amount of stuff I need to do? 
Well, you need to be a disciple of Christ. Well, yeah, okay. What's the minimum that I have to learn in order to be a disciple of Christ? My response is everything. (laughs) Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded you. The minimum is everything. Okay, before I get there, just, just hang with me. This is the problem. This is the problem that we have today that we've got to, got to address. The problem is you have to be assured and you have to be certain of heaven and a wonderful afterlife with Jesus before you can truly be obedient and before you can truly live a life of godliness. Did you know that? We, we think, hey, I'm just going to be obedient and I'm going to live a life of godliness. And if I do that, then, you know, maybe I'll go to heaven. The reality is there is no true obedience. There is no true life of godliness if you are not assured that there is a heaven and that there is a wonderful life with Jesus after we die. You can't truly be obedient to the Lord if you indirectly believe that he's a liar and his promises are not true. Whoa, did you hear that? Do you know what you're saying to the Lord if you doubt that there is a heaven and a wonderful afterlife with Christ? You are saying that he is a liar. How can you truly be obedient if we're doing that? How can we? All right, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. We cannot truly be obedient to the Lord if we indirectly believe that he's a liar and his word and promises are not really true. We will bring more dishonor to the Lord by trying to love him even though we believe that he might not be telling us the truth. We bring more dishonor to the Lord by trying to obey him even though we believe that he might not be telling us the truth. It's almost like your spouse, your wife, or your husband is saying, I love you. I think that you are dishonest. I think that you're a liar. I think that you don't keep your word, but I love you. How many of you would like your spouse to say that to you? So do you think God wants to hear that from us? God, we love you, but, you know, I I think you're a liar. I I don't think your your promises are true. We can't do that. So what makes us think that we can be obedient if we're not exactly sure? Believing and declaring his promises are yes and amen. But we live our life as if he doesn't do what he says, if he even exists in the first place. Reason for motivation is as important as moving This is why we can't do the enjoy all that we can here on earth and do just enough good to make sure we get into heaven. If that's what you're thinking, I'm going to live life, I'm going to enjoy everything I can on earth, and I'm going to do just enough good to make sure I get into heaven. If that's your plan, if that's what you're doing, if that's why you're here today, I'm going to help you right now. You will not make it into heaven. 
I'm helping you. Come on, you got to love me. I'm helping you today. I'm, I'm, I'm saving you a whole bunch of heartache. I'm saving you that moment where you actually go to heaven and you're face to face with Jesus. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. But, 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 but I went to church. But I did things. I did awesome things. I gave a lot of money to the church. I suffered a lot of things for Christianity. I did this stuff. I did all of these types of things. I, I checked with the pastor. The pastor told me wrongly that all I had to do was do this, and he was, I was going to make it in. Depart from me. I never knew you. Here's the thing. If this is what we think, then there's something very, very wrong. How we worship God is just as important as that we worship God. So let's take a look at our scripture today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to chapter 5, verse 1. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze upon things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I pray that it continues to be that lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us, Lord, to continue to move forward in what it is that you've called us to. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is our need for us to believe that our future glory will be real and great in order to live in true godliness. And then the last thing we're going to see is the beauty of union with Christ by the power of the gospel. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose hope in our future glory in pursuit of the here and now, it is the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see and hope in all the joy that the Lord has set before us. The joy set before us. It's amazing. Okay, so point number one, the necessary precondition to obedience and godly living. Today, we're talking about point number three, okay? Last week, we talked about point number one. If you wanted to live a godly life, there were some preconditions we had to have. Number one, we had to want it. If you don't want to live a godly life, then you're not going to. <laughs> number two, you had to be 100% assured that you are saved God has forgiven you, and that he has reconciled you to the Father. If you don't believe that, then every work that you're going to be doing is trying to gain favor from God, and it's going to be works righteousness, and it's going to be a dishonor to God. So you have to know it. You have to believe it. 
all right? You have to believe that it's already there. Okay, so here it is today. Watch this. You have heard it said. Some of us say it. Stop saying it, <laughs> okay? You've heard it said. Stop saying it. You are so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Well, people have said that. People are saying it. And what they're saying is you spend so much time with your mind on heavenly things that you neglect all of your earthly responsibilities and duty. But did you know the Bible gives us a completely different message? What the Bible communicates to us is you must be so heavenly-minded in order to be earthly good. So heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. No, the Bible says you must be heavenly-minded if you want to be earthly good. If you want to be earthly good, you have got to be heavenly-minded. The precondition is this. You have to be absolutely 100% assured that you are going to have a happy eternal future with the Lord in the new heaven and a new earth or you will not be able to live a godly life. Again, family, let me say this again. Again, we've got to understand church leaders throughout history, church leaders today, pastors in our culture today, and really always, but we are afraid to give any message that could give a person an excuse to not behave as a Christian should. Now, this is, this is hard. I, I know that this is hard for my pastor friends and all that kind of stuff. It's something, I, to be honest with you, it's something that I have to fight every single week when I pray. I always, I always have that thing. You know, it's like, you know, well, I'm going to preach that, you know, that they're good, everything, that Christ does everything, and that they're forgiven and all that stuff, and that they're loved by God. And then a thought crosses in my mind. But if I do that, then why... There's no motivation for them to do anything good, so I want to go. But So God loves you, but not that much because you guys aren't doing enough. You know what I mean? Like, we got work at the church that needs to be done, you know? It's like, John, God loves you, but not that much until you paint that hallway over there. And then I don't need John telling me, nah, you said God loved me 100%. So if I paint or not, I'm going to heaven. I got to stop preaching this. But family, this is a real temptation for pastors. And that's why you hear pastors preaching the way they do. Some of you may have been brought up with that kind of preaching. The conditions to get into heaven when the condition is you have to believe you're on your way to heaven before you can do anything good. It's amazing, the, the message that we give. And that's the thing. But you know what the reality is? This is what I have to tell myself in my quiet times as I'm praying for you, as I'm preparing our message. I have to say that. You know why, Shane? You know why I'm, I'm tempted with this? Do you know why we as pastors, we struggle with this? Because we don't trust God that God's going to do what he needs to do with you. Because really, that's not up to me. Your motivation, your desire to do what it is that you need to do as a Christian needs to come from the Lord and from his word. 
I'm here, I preach his word, and it's the Holy Spirit that's got to do his work. So the reason why we're doing it is because we don't trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. We're going to help him do his work for him. And what we find is that we're doing nothing but making more of a mess. Again, we've got to understand Okay, we got to understand. Many will assert that if people are 100% assured that they're going to live a wonderful life with the Lord in heaven, they say they would rather live a life of sin in narcissistic, licentious hedonism and not do what they're supposed to be doing. Living, doing, believing, anything and everything they want without any fear of consequences. So many teach that the only way to get Christians to do what they're supposed to do is to keep heaven just out of reach with a silent fear that we might not get there if we're not careful and obedient. Now, how many times have you heard sermons like that? Yeah. If we're not careful, you're not going to get in. When I was in high school, I went to a Christian high school, and uh, one of my... One of my good friends that I used to play basketball with and, and do all that stuff, we hang out and do stuff. When his mom was, she was a trip, she was funny, but she contributed to this mess. <laughs> when I was in high school, my friend's mom, she would always say, me, me, and, me and James, were about ready to, we're, we're doing ready to go, all right, all right, see you, mom, we're leaving. And every single time, before we walk out of the door, make sure, boys, you make sure that you behave yourselves and that you don't do anything that's going to keep you out of heaven. Boys, be careful what you guys plan on doing, you know, because you want to make sure that you get to heaven, right? Jane, right? Yes. And it was, it's, it's interesting what that does in your mind is immediately when she says that, I know what she's saying, I know what she's trying to say, but the minute she does that, she puts into my mind, number one, that heaven is out of reach. And it puts into my mind that it's conditional on what I do. And then I live with the reality that when I try to be good, I can't. So guess what? I'm never gonna go to heaven. I'm not good enough to go to heaven, so why bother? Whoa. One of my teachers at the school used to say something like that too. She said, make sure, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this one too. Make sure, Shane and, and, and James and all of you guys, wherever you guys are planning on going this weekend, you make sure that you're not somewhere you shouldn't be when the rapture comes. You know, you don't want to be in the dance club, you know, dancing the secular music with impure thoughts going through your mind, you know, with chicken wings in one hand, get alcoholic beverage in the other. And then the trump of God sounds, the, the sky opens up. It's like you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Oops. terrified of that. So, so you know, walking around and being like, is it okay for me to go here? Because I'm not sure. 
you know, because my teacher said that if I go here, this is not a good place to go. If I go here, you know, Jesus comes back, I'm going to be in trouble. He's going to leave me behind. Terrified of that. So I was never assured. I was never assured of heaven. I was never assured that I was going to get there. I was never assured that I was going to make it. And in all actuality, what happened is we come to the realization that what all we are doing is creating a sense of insecurity that causes us to doubt the grace, mercy, and power of God so much so that it'll make true obedience and true godly living absolutely impossible. What they were trying to keep us from doing was causing us to want to do it even more. Because why even bother? Why bother? I mean, if, if getting into heaven is that tricky that there's some kind of secret magic formula to get in there, I don't know it. So if I don't know it, how, the, how in the world am I going to get in there? So then why even bother? Why bother? It'll actually do the exact opposite of what we're hoping to get others to do. This kind of belief will cause people to even reject Jesus. Keeping heaven out of reach is going to cause people to even reject Jesus. It will cause us to become hardened. It will cause us to become disillusioned. And it will cause us to be sad, you see. Do you know who didn't believe in the afterlife? Acts chapter 23, verse 8. Acts 23, verse 8. For the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection or angels or spirits. But the Pharisees believed in all of these. So we understand in biblical history, the Sadducees denied the supernatural. They denied angels. They denied the soul or spirit. They denied the resurrection of the dead. They essentially denied the existence of an afterlife. They were the ancient nihilist, the philosophy that denies the existence of genuine moral truths and asserts the ultimate meaninglessness of life or meaninglessness of the universe because there's nothing more after death. When you die, that's it. Blech. Done, that's it. It just goes dark. That's it. That's nihilism. They were, they were essentially the ancient nihilists. See, here's the, here's the reality. It's inevitable. We have got to stop lying to ourselves today. There is really nothing else that we will realistically turn to. If we are not sure about a wonderful afterlife, we will end up believing that following God and his directives are in vain. If we are not assured that we're going to go to heaven and that there's going to be a wonderful life, if we're not sure of that, we will be, it'll begin to eat away at us and we will end up believing that following God and his directives are in vain. And we're going to act that way. Because the question is, what's the point? Right? Come on. What's the point? If there's no heaven, there's no wonderful afterlife, what's the point? If I'm going to die and that's it, what's the point in doing anything? Oh, man, Shane, you're, you're treading on some dangerous ground here. Just hang with me. What's the point? None of this is going to matter anyway. 
So, you know, so if I'm in the club with my chicken wing and my alcoholic beverage, who cares? I may as well, you know, dip some of that in some extra hot sauce. Come on. I may as well just go all out. Hey, give me another one. I may as well, because there's no point. In the end, there's nothing. There might not be nothing, so pfft, it's not going to matter. Why am I suffering and going through all this misery as a Christian if it's not going to even matter at the end? When I die, it will just be ceasing to exist and nothing more. It's because of our insecurity of not knowing what is causing us to want to get the most out of this life in the here and now, just in case there's nothing after death. If we're not sure, we will not go all in. If we're not sure, we will not surrender all. If we're not sure, we will not truly obey. I'm just being honest with you guys here. Let's just be honest today. This is one of the biggest issues today. If we are truly confident and assured that our life, that life after death will be amazing and more than we could ever ask for, we would 100% be okay with a room, a table, and a bench. We will 100% be completely fine with having to eat spam every single day. We're good with it. I'm good with it. You know, it'd be nice if you throw in some Vienna sausage, but, you know, spam, okay, I get it. I'm good with it. <laughs> we got to ask ourselves, and we got to be honest with ourselves today. Do we really believe that there is life after death and that it's going to be a wonderful one with the Lord? If not, there are bigger problems than we might think. This is huge. You are not going to be swallowed up and enslaved to all the things here in this world if you believe, if you truly believe 100% that you're going to go to heaven, live a wonderful life with Jesus, and that God loves you. The scriptures acknowledge this. Man, Shane, you said a lot. You said a lot. Yeah, the Bible actually says this too. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in this world. You did all of that stuff. You suffered all that for nothing. We're more to be pitied. But, but come on, this, this, if, if, you, if you don't have an afterlife, if there's no you know, hope for heaven in the future people are going to throw up their hands and say whatever and they're just going to turn to the world? Absolutely they're going to. This is where we can't lie to ourselves. You are going to do this. The Apostle Paul says that this is what we're going to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts? Those people in Ephesus. If there will be no resurrection from the dead and if there is no resurrection, let's Feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is even encouraging you to do it. If you don't believe that there is a heaven, if you don't believe that, and if there is none of that stuff, the Apostle Paul is saying, then go out, man, party hard. 
That's how important this is. That's why this is a precondition. That's why keeping heaven just out of reach is actually going to do the exact opposite of what it is that we're going to do. The opposite of what we want other people to do. So you see, it is natural and it's sensible even. Sensible to live in lascivious hedonism if there are doubts about heaven and future glory with Christ. If we see a, con a consistent compromise of the law of God and a consistent alignment with the ways and ideals of the pattern of this world, we have got to ask ourselves those very important questions. So ask ourselves the question today, do you even want to obey God and follow his truth. Do you even want to do it? Because if you don't want to do it, then chances are you don't have a new heart. So we're sitting there, I'm good, man, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to obey the Lord. Then chances are you don't have a new heart. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is not with you. You see, that's why these preconditions are very, very good because it's sobering. It helps sober us up here. Do we even want to obey God and follow his truth? Here's the next question we got to ask ourselves. Are we absolutely assured? Are we sure that we are forgiven by Christ, covered by his blood, and truly reconciled to the Father because of what Christ has already done? Are we sure of that? If we're not sure of that, then there's a problem. There's a huge problem. We might not have a new heart. We got to ask these questions. All right? We, we, we have a tendency, especially in our culture today, to lie to ourselves. All right? Don't lie to yourself today. This is all showing that there is a serious problem, a very serious one. So here's the next question. Is our salvation sure? Am I going to go to heaven? Is there a heaven? Is there a wonderful life with Jesus after this? Here's the, the kicker that I like to throw in there too. Yep, my salvation is sure. Well, do you know why? Do you know why? Is he really your heavenly father? Do you see the heavenly father, the creator of heaven and earth, do you see him as one that you can look at and say, that's my daddy? Is that my daddy? Is, is he my daddy? Because here's the thing. This is why we can't be afraid of that. And I think I've used this illustration before. I'm just going to do it again. If, I, if with my earthly father, let's take my earthly father. My earthly father's here. And I did something really bad. Just whatever it might have been. Some of, some of you might can even think of specific situations where you're dead, where you did something really bad and disappointed your dad, you know? We, we, all, we all have that, right? Disappointed our dad. Now, here's the thing. Your dad is standing there going, son, I know that you did this horrible, horrible thing. But you know what I want to let you know is that your dad loves you. I forgive you. And I will love you and I will always forgive you and you are my son and you will always be my son and I love you and I forgive you, right? And, and we've experienced, some of us have experienced that. Now, how despicable would it be if I was just like, wow, 
I did this horrible thing. My dad forgave me of it. Huh, wow, that's cool. I guess I'm going to do everything my dad hates. Everything that is going to break my dad's heart. I'm, I'm free to do that. So I'm going to go do that and live the rest of my life doing that. Do we do that? No. That's the reason why we preach the gospel. We tell everybody about the love of God. We tell everybody how there is forgiveness. And if they're truly repentant and see God as their daddy, they're not going to turn around and do everything God hates. They're going to want to do everything God loves. That's why if that's when you're walking away from this and that's how you feel, I'm going to do everything that he hates. Something is wrong. Something hasn't happened that you think happened. Very important that we see this. Very important that we see this. We don't do that to our fathers. We won't even do it to our earthly father. Why would we do it to our heavenly father? And another thing that we see in the scriptures, and this, is, this makes it so clear, ever since the fall, the Lord uses hope of eternal life to be a motivation for obedience to him. Even Christ himself had it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in a place of honor besides God's throne. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Motivated by the wonders of what's going to happen in the future. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Hebrews 10, 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Uh, that, see, this scripture right here, this is the, this is the uh, prosperity gospel killer, right? You, you guys want, you know, we want to mess around with the prosperity gospel? No, this is the killer. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You lost everything. They took it away and you were still okay. Man, that's powerful. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They were able to do this. Not because of, you know, because of some kind of methodology. No, they were able to do this because they believed they had something better that was coming. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. 1 John chapter 3, 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. If you have this eager expectation, you'll keep yourself pure. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 to 12. Hebrews 6, 11 to 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Again, it's because of this assurance and the future glory with the Lord that will cause us to see the reality of the eternal love of God. And it will cause us to prefer the Lord above the flesh and the world, causing our motivation to be more for the Lord and for the Lord alone. And let me say a very, very Puritan thing to say. God would be dishonored if we loved him without understanding that he has prepared a place for us. Oh, whoa, for real? Hebrews chapter eleven sixteen. Hebrews eleven sixteen. But as it is, they desire a better country. He's talking about heaven. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You realize what that's saying? You bring dishonor to God if you don't desire a better place. If you are a Christian walking around not believing that there's a heaven, not believing that there's a better life, not believing in all this stuff, we are dishonoring God. God is ashamed because of it. This is why we can't be truly obedient if, this is, if we believe that there's a problem with this. If we're not sure about all of this stuff, we need to desire the better country. This brings honor, all right? So in other words, God is honored when we desire the place that he has prepared for us. This is the amazing power and beauty of our obedience and good works as a result of our desire and assurance of the wonderful place that the Lord has prepared for us. It brings dishonor to the Lord to not desire a better place. It dishonors the Lord not to believe that he has prepared a place for us. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he writes, I, I love this. He writes this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective. C.S. Lewis saying, if you look at history, you'll see when Christians stop looking for the better place, when Christians stop thinking about heaven, when they stop thinking about what comes next, that's when the work here on earth becomes ineffective. You can see it in history, all throughout history. We could see it in the very, very start of Christian history. Did you know that the goal of the disciples, the apostles, the goal of the apostles, the disciples, their goal was to preach the gospel. Do you know that? That was their goal, was to preach the gospel. Did you know that their goal wasn't to change the world? They didn't set out and say, hey, guys, I got this idea. This is what we're going to do. We're going to change the world. Well, it's what we hear today, right? We've we got to do this because we want to change the world. We want to be world changers. We want to be world changers. We wanna, this, our goal is to change the world. No, the disciples' goal was to preach the gospel. And when they preached the gospel... They changed the world. Their eyes fixed upon Christ, eyes upon the heavenly glory. And when they did that, the world changed. So family, this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel brings us 
to the place where we hear about the words and the work of Christ. It is our hope in that that we are united with Christ. And we are united with Christ when we receive the means of grace. We receive the means of grace when we come to fellowship. And one of the graces that we received is the wonders that come when we hear the gospel as Christ is proclaimed. This is why we preach the gospel every week. It is the power of God for salvation. It's not just something that we hear one time and then move on. No, we have got to hear it over and over and over again. It's not, I mean, think about it. The gospel, it's not natural. It's not normal. We don't instinctively think about the gospel, right? Especially in our culture today. If you want to get in somewhere, you first have to have a ticket that you had to spend hard-earned money to get. So you go to the greatest place of all and be like, I don't have a ticket. Well, you don't need a ticket. The ticket was already bought for you. Come in, my good and faithful servant. Uh, that, that, whoa, that's too wonderful. That's too amazing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean... That the salvation, the ticket that was bought wasn't because God sent one of his angels and a bunch of his angels to go out there and negotiate and to do all this stuff, to do all this work, to build these things, to do all this stuff, that the angels went out there and did it and then brought back to God something that was acceptable and God goes, I guess it's acceptable. Are you telling me that God was standing there and God goes, you know what? I want this done right. I want salvation for my people. I love them. I want salvation done right. So if you want it done right, you gotta do it yourself. Are you telling me that the creator of heaven and earth left his place in eternity to take on the nature of a servant becoming like man in that crazy idea of humiliation? Not only that, but then be tortured for stuff he didn't do. Stuff that I did. And would go to the cross and die for us? That's what I love about Christianity, different from all the other, if it's another religion, it's a false religion, but all the other religions. In the other religions, you're saved by the teachings of God. In Christianity, we were saved by God. He came. Because he knew we couldn't do it. There's no way. He's too amazing. He's too transcendent. He's too wonderful. And for us to think that we can, we can gain 
and, and, and give him a standard by which he stands and thinks that it's good. We think, oh, I got to do all of this stuff so that I can get into heaven. Do you really think that all the stuff that you're giving and offering to God is good enough for him to let you in? No. Remember, remember last week, right? I told you about here's this restaurant, the greatest restaurant in the world. And it's like, you know, you go to these restaurants and you think, you know, this place has got to have a cover charge. And then you walk to the restaurant and the guy goes, oh, no, there's no cover charge. Are you sure this is an, an awesome, amazing restaurant? I'm sure there's a cover charge. No, there's no cover charge. Well, let me give you a cover charge anyway, because I, I think that I need to do this in order, because I think it's wrong for you to just let us in. I think that you should, you should let us, you know, we should pay to get in. No, 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 the, the owner said that it's free. You can just come in. No, 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 I'm going to pay, that's it. I'm paying for it. I am going to do everything I can. Reach into your pocket, pull out two quarters. Here you go. Greatest restaurant in the world, and we think that a proper cover charge is 50 cents. And it's even worse than that. We look at God and we think that we earned our way, that we did enough to get in. All we did was give Jesus a plate of filthy rags and say, I think I should be let in. This is the beauty of the gospel. We didn't give. We can't give a plate of filthy rags. We can't give 50 cents to get in. It costs way more to get in. How much did it cost? It actually cost the life of the son of the living God. That's what it took. And did we get it? Absolutely we did. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel of Jesus. Doesn't say anything about earning your way in, does it? Doesn't say anything about us. Man, I tell you what, if we're honest, especially even with me, if you're honest, if God left it up to us, nobody's getting in. No, come on. 
You know, and I know we look around and we go, hey, you know, there's, there's some people here that I, I don't think sin, Shane. Right? I mean, you know, you, you look at Connie and you say, that lady, she doesn't sin. What could Connie possibly do in life? What is she doing? How is she sinning? She, she don't sin. And I tell you, no, 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 no. No, Connie sins. Connie is a Bronco fan. She sinned. I guarantee you she sinned this season. And it's not even over yet. This is the wonders of the gospel and the promise from our Lord who cannot lie. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you will be also. It seems pretty clear to me. Christian, today, be assured, Christ prepared a place for us. He doesn't lie. So there is a place right now that was prepared for you. And he promised that he is going to come and he's going to get us. He's going to take us. He's going to bring us to the place where he is. Don't let your confidence and assurance be thrown today by what's happening and what this world says. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And the gospel assures us that Jesus saved us from hell and has given us life and life more abundant with him forever in eternity. Aim for heaven. Aim for heaven and earth will be thrown in. Aim for earth and you get neither. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.